<clears throat> I preached a message here at 915, then I went over to East Campus. God is just doing a great, marvelous work over there, just like he is here. And uh, I know they um, send their love to you and uh, hope that you'll be praying for them. I want to look at a passage this morning in Matthew chapter 20, probably the, the greatest verse in the Bible for our subject this morning. Now, we've been in a, a series of messages, started last week on four steps to making this new year of um, 2018, is it, right? Uh, really count. Four things we talked about last week about the intake, what, what you need to do to bring it into your life as far as studying the Bible and praying and coming to church. Many of you, about two-thirds of the people that were here last week, made a commitment to at least have five days out of the week where you have a, a quiet time or a devotional time, read the Bible on every week basis. And I praise God for that. Wow, what a, what a commitment that was made on your part. And so we understand, however, that in order to be really healthy, you need to have a good diet. But what else do you need? Exercise. Say that with me. <clears throat> yes. I've been to the gym this week once, and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the place was packed, as it is every January, and uh, there won't be a problem in February, however. But we look at things and say, yeah, you know, you need intake and outtake. I've had the privilege of going to the Holy Land a couple of times. Wonderful trip. But there's a place there called the Dead Sea. And the reason it's called the Dead Sea is it, there's nothing in this little lake that can live. Everything, everything dies that, that uh, is there. Why? Well, because rivers flow into it, nothing runs out. And so what you have in there is salt, minerals. In fact, I've been in the Dead Sea, and I've been able to float myself on top of the water without any effort, because you can't sink. There, there's just so many minerals in the water, you can't go down. But why is it that way? Why is it the Dead Sea? A lot coming in, nothing going out. When you're talking about intake and output, intake is somebody ministering to you. Output is you ministering to someone else. Now, as we look at this passage, I ask the question, how, what can I say today that would make 2018 the greatest year of your life? Well, I can't think of anything either. But I can tell you this, you're going to be facing some good successes in 2018. You're going to be facing some adversities also in this coming year. And so what can be said this week, next week, and the next week after that to prepare you for successes as well as challenges. What can we do to really make you the best person you can be in 2018? Well, Jesus gives the answer beginning in verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be with you, but whoever would be great among you you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, of, of many popular subjects that I could be preaching on, service is, of course, one of them. And I say that sarcastically because we here in America think, well, slave, servanthood. Man, I don't want to serve anybody. I don't want to do anything like that. I want to be a leader. 
because a leader, as a leader, you get to do whatever you want to do, be wherever you want to be, no accountability, boss everybody else around and treat them the way you want to, them to be treated. And if you feel like that that is the way a leader is supposed to be, my dear friend, you've been watching too much TV and you've been to the movies far too often because the higher you go up in leadership, the fewer options you have and the more you're a servant to everyone else. How many times has you as a leader or myself as a pastor gone to a staff member and said, what can I do to help you? We are, the higher you go up, the more service you have. On the other hand, somebody might object and say, well, you know, here's the thing. I just feel like, Pastor, the, the whole salvation thing seems to be on the installment plan. You know, it, salvation's free, but once you get saved, then you got to serve, you got to give, you got to do this, you got to do... And, and so, let me just share with you, it's not... Because God is not a selfish God. And let me just say this at the outset. Anything that I do to serve God really is serving other people. The only thing I do to serve God is what we just did a few moments ago. We worship God. That's about it. He doesn't need anything else. And so any time that you and I serve God, we're really doing that by serving other people. Now, as we open about Matthew chapter 20, 20 we find that Matthew is writing a, a letter or a gospel to mainly Jewish people. That's his original audience. And so if you get the picture, the book of Mark is about Jesus being the servant. Luke is about him being the man. That's kind of the theme, his manhood. John is about his Godhead, his deity. But Matthew is written, it's kind of like a transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament, writing to Jewish people about his sovereignty and the fact that he is ruler, he is king. And so, the things that Matthew often writes about in his gospel is about Jesus being sovereign. You know, he's sovereign over the demons. He's sovereign and ruler over the lakes and the seas and, and makes the storm quiet. And so, all the, many of the parables are like that. So, here are the two sons of Zebedee, two of his disciples, James and John. John, same, same John that wrote the gospel of John. And they come and they, they bribe or they ask their mom to go up to Jesus and, said, and say to him, look, when we come into your kingdom, one of us want to sit, sit on the right hand and the other on the left hand. Ambition. Nothing wrong with a good, healthy ambition, as long as it doesn't go, I guess, too far. But they had ambition. In fact, the rest of the disciples were kind of mad at him. And Jesus said, look, I know why you want these seats. It's only of my father to give those two seats. But the reason you want those two seats is because you want to rule like the Gentiles rule. But he said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you serve. And so as we look at this, I'm going to look at four things very quickly. And then we're going to dismiss and go out, hopefully all of us, into the atrium and ask about um, the ministries going on and what's needed. And uh, that, that is the, the end result here, we hope. Uh, this morning. That's our aim. So let's look at the attitude, the aim, the ammunition, and the actions of service. First of all, the attitude. The attitude is not one of, I'm going to be um, ambitious for myself, but notice it says, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Now this word uh, in the New Testament is the word doulos, which means someone that has a master that is totally sold out voluntarily, by the way, in the Roman Empire most of the time. Uh, to serve someone else. Now, don't get things confused. 
Roman slavery was not exactly like what we think about slavery. In fact, many of the Roman, some people say over half of the people in the Roman Empire were sometimes slaves. Because a slave, slavery would happen when you owed someone some money and you couldn't pay it. So you said, look, I'm going to be your slave for the next five years to pay off the debt. And you have to do everything the master said, but it was voluntary in order for something to happen in your life. And so Jesus was saying, look, if you're going to be great, just like the slaves served the Roman people, you need to be a slave of other people and put them first in your life. Now, understand that this is a transition, in a sense, between the Old and the New Testament. What was going on in the Old Testament? We said last week about the priesthood, the royal, the holy priesthood of God. In fact, in the uh, passage that we studied last week in 1 Peter, right after that, it says that we are now a royal priesthood. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Verse 9 says the same thing. We're a royal priesthood. Why would Peter bring that out? And why this passage? In the Old Testament, the only people that served were the priests. That's it. The rest of them were just spectators. Didn't do much. You even brought your sacrifice to the priesthood, kind of took care of it. And uh, they, they, the Levites were the tribe set aside for the priesthood. Remember what we said, however. Because Adam and Eve sinned against God, now God is beyond us. There's no connection now between us and God until Jesus came. And so in the Old Testament, people were far, far away from God. There was, God was out of reach for them. They had to have a go-between. The, the priest was that appointed person. He'd go into the, the, the outer court and make the sacrifices, and then he'd go into the holy place and make some, burn some incense. And finally, there was the Holy of Holies, where the covenant of God, the Ark of the Covenant was, where in, at least in the Old Testament, it said it was the presence of God. The presence of God was felt there, right behind that curtain in the holy place. But only the priests could do it. Only the priests. However, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says in the book of Matthew that the fingers of God tore that veil in half, and now we have access to God. The way the Old Testament saints did not have access to God at all. And so, because our sins have been forgiven, now God is not out of reach. And you say, hey, yeah, that's right. I can have access to God. I don't need anybody else having to pray for me. Intercession's good, by the way. But I can pray to God myself. I can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit can speak to me. Oh, but there's another aspect here. It's no longer just the privilege. Say that word with me. Privilege for the, for the priest to serve. Now it's the privilege for everybody to be able to serve. The Bible does not count it as a have to. The Bible counts it as a privilege. He says this in Ephesians. <coughs> we are his workmanship, a poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose for our life. Ephesians 4 says he gave some apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints, that's, that's all of us. My job and a pastor's job is to equip you for the work of the ministry and to administrate in some, in some way in a church that makes it accessible for you to do your ministry and use your gifts for God. 
Now, that's the New Testament way of doing it. And so our attitude ought to be, God, my goodness, you've given me this great privilege to minister to other people to affect their lives for Jesus Christ. And then after they're saved, to affect it even more for the growth in their personal life. And so that's the attitude. The attitude is, this morning, folks, we're not asking you to do something because we're in such great and dire need. That is a need of the church. But let me tell you something. If a staff member ever came to me and said, you know, so-and-so said that they sure would like to serve in my ministry, but I had to tell them, hey, look, we're full. You'd never tell anybody that because we're never full. Because it's more necessary in your growth for you to minister than it is us to need your ministry, just as much, if not more. And so we look, secondly, at the aim, the why behind it all. Jesus, notice in verse 28, even the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. And what did he do to serve? To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus fulfilled his calling in life. Everything he did for 33 and a half years to prepare himself for the cross and to die there on the cross for your sins. In fact, the whole, really, the ministry of Jesus could probably be summed up in Matthew where he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will likewise perish. That was his, that was his ministry, to convince everybody they needed a Savior. He said, look, the Pharisees, the the Jewish leaders, the most righteous people you think are so righteous, they need a Savior. And so if they need a Savior, you need one as well. And then he died on the cross for their sins. As we said, only the Old Testament priests could minister in the Old Testament. But now we can affect the lives of other people. And so it affects, first of all, your life. You can fulfill your purpose by using your talents, your spiritual gifts, your calling in order to accomplish what God wants you to have in life. Now, let me ask you something. If God has called you to something and you do not fulfill that calling, I'm just asking, have you then wasted your life? Of all the things that you could do in life, have you wasted it because you have not fulfilled your calling in life? God has called us, and we are to minister, and that fulfills our life. But also it helps others. He says to give his life as a ransom for many, to build up the body of Christ. And you say to, you think to yourself, okay, now look, it says to build up the body of Christ. And I was asked this question, by the way, several years ago, and at first I thought, you know, I'm going to have to think about that answer. And the question was this, why is it The church just concentrates on ministering within the four walls, and we have many more walls than that, but the walls of the church and not get people out, feeding the hungry and ministering to people. Why is that? Now, let me just say, I I do, again, believe in feeding the hungry and ministering out into uh, our neighborhood and our community. We do that a lot. We haven't talked much about it in the past as far as the results. We're trying to change that. But, it, you know, it just sort of seems a little bit bragging when you say, well, we, we sent 5,100 meals to feed the homeless because of your Christmas offering. So we're trying to jump that hurdle a little bit. But we do believe in ministering outside of the walls of the church. But remember what we talked about last week, those of you who are here. We said 
that we are born again. That means that the the religious experience, the spiritual experience, is not just about making nice people nicer. It's a supernatural experience. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, the imperishable word of God is a seed within our heart. And from that, we are supernaturally born from above, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And then it says in in the next couple of verses, he says, we're like newborn infants. We talked about being a baby. Nothing wrong with being a baby. Everybody that's saved in the very beginning, born again, is like a baby in Christ. And just like a baby that's physical, can't take care of themselves, they need to grow, they need help, the infant also and Christ needs help. Now, let me ask you something. Suppose you had a newborn baby, and uh, you brought him home to the hospital, and you say, you know, uh, we shouldn't just keep this baby here. We need to get this baby out in the world, doing something, doing something for Jesus. And so you put the baby out on the curb and say, now get to work. Well, nobody would do that. But how about this? He turns five. Five years old, I mean, my goodness, what is he going to do? Lounge around the house all of his life? No. Then you send him out into the world. Instead of, you don't need to go to school. What do you know? A bunch of letters and reading, writing, and all that kind of stuff. You don't need all that. Just go out. We're going to send you to Bangladesh on the mission field, five years old. Nobody would do that. You know, got a place in Iran for you or something. Nobody would do that. No. Why? Well, the baby needs a home to be nourished in. Needs parents and siblings maybe around them to, uh, to rub them the wrong way so they'll grow, you know. And, and then when they hit five years old, six years old, you send them to school. Why? Because they need to learn things that's going to prepare them to be effective in life. So how would it be as a church... If nobody served here, there were no greeters, which were opening up that ministry to be something huge. No greeters, so everybody, when they come to church, feel like, well, this is an unfriendly church. Man, I'm trying to find some help. Nobody, there's nobody here to help me. And you go back to your small groups, and there's no teachers. Well, where is anybody? Oh, they're, they're out. They're, they're out at townhouse or whatever, witnessing. And nobody ever teaches anything here. You know, you come to church, and the pastor is the paid guy, so he, he does all the preaching, and the rest of us just go. Nobody would think that. No, this is a place. This is the home. This is the school. You prepare people here to send them out into the world. And, and please, don't take this as braggadocious, but there's been over 150 people over the last 24 years called out of ministry of this church, and they're serving somewhere in the world. So it's not like we don't do this. But you need to grow here. In order to do that, hey, we need you. Do you know that in a high school ministry, I was reading this um, article from this big-time high school pastor, and he said that every high school student needs, you ready for this, guys? Needs five adults in their life to help them grow in Christ. Where are those five adults? Children's ministry, memorizing scripture, teaching them to know Christ. We're going to have to have that. Adult ministry, the adults 
need to know one another, need to grow together, need to minister to one another as well as outside in the world. Where, where are the leaders for that? Where are the people that are going to be greeting people to say, wow, this is a friendly church. Did you know that people make up their mind when they visit a church like ours in the first 10 minutes, whether they like it or not? That's before I even get a, a shot at preaching. And if they don't like it, it's kind of uphill from there. All uphill. And so we see that God's aim for our life is to help others to grow, but also to grow ourselves through service. But what about the ammunition, the tools? Well, Jesus, of course, died on the cross. The Bible says we're born again. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says this, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to receive power. And so all, you have the DNA of Jesus Christ. The very moment that you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of your life and heart. And so you have the power of God to do what you need to do. It is a supernatural power. I've, I've, I've felt it, and usually when you are fulfilling your spiritual gift that we'll get to in about two seconds, if you're fulfilling your spiritual gift, you feel, you sense that power in your life. Now, what about those spiritual gifts? Well, not only do we have the DNA of Jesus Christ, but also the Bible tells us we get supernatural gifts the very moment that we get saved. Now, when you and I are born for the first time, really, this analogy goes all the way through the Bible about being born physically, born spiritually. If you're born the first time, you get talents. You may have a talent to sing. You may have a talent to, with numbers, and so you're really good. As, you're an engineer. You're, you're so good with that kind of stuff, or a banker. And, uh, you know, you come back and say, no, I'm, I'm really good with my hands, and, and you're great at building houses, fixing cars. Here's the thing. You don't get that talent at 10, 12, 15 years old. It's developed then, but you get the talent when you're born the first time, and, and everybody pretty much has one. But you get a spiritual gift when you're born again. A spiritual gift is a gift that's a supernatural gift given by the Holy Spirit to every Christian to use in service for him. Keep in mind that many of you here have spiritual gifts that you're using in your family life. You're using it in your career. Nothing wrong with that. It's going to be natural. It's just part of you. But they're given to you in order for you to minister within the body of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 gives us a list. Ephesians 4, when it talks about apostles and prophets and preachers and evangelists for the equipping of the saints, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a long list. In fact, 19 spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible. Here's Romans 12. Here's a few. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So everybody has something different. A lot of people may have, for example, the gift of prophecy. That's foretelling the Word of God, preaching. And that same one, one of the preachers may have the gift of evangelism, but another one had the gift of teaching also. There's a different mix. Everybody's a little different. We all, all have a, like a fingerprint, a unique fingerprint of spiritual gifts. He says, if if, if, uh, if service, let him serve. If teaching, let him, let him teach. Exhorts, that's the gift of encouragement. Let him exhort. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, you know what that means, right? If you don't have the gift of mercy, you don't have to be merciful. 
No, I didn't mean that. Well, that means if you're not, don't have the gift of leadership, you never have to lead. Everybody leads their, in their family at some point. So it's not that you don't do these other things. In fact, you may have a talent to lead. But if you have a spiritual gift, it's something that you're drawn to and it fulfills you and you're good at it. You're just extra good at it. And you look around and say, well, you know, I'm, I've got the gift of evangelism. Why isn't everybody leading people to the Lord like me? Because that's your gift. And so everybody has at least, Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, everybody has at least one gift, at least one. And so you are equipped. Now, what happens if you don't use your gift? Well, Jesus talks about that too. He says, if you don't use it, God will take it away from you, give it to somebody else. But God's given it to you the very moment that you're born again. And so, what are the actions? Because some of you may be thinking to yourself this morning, I don't know what my gift is. Now, how, how in the world can I serve? I, didn't know, I don't know what my gift is. You, you do it by trial and error. You, you get involved. But let me just say first, that in verse 28 again, he says, even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve... And to give his life as a ransom for many. What are your actions? The first action you do is you give your life. Give your life to Christ. You see, it's a sacrifice. He sacrificed on the cross for us. We sacrifice in order to serve others. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice some talent. We sacrifice uh, some, some training we, or humility, pride. Man, I... I've been teaching for 20 years. I know how to do it. I don't need any training. No, you, 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 you're humble. You, you train more. It takes a sacrifice. I love what Paul says in one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome from a prison. He says, I appeal to you. And this is right before he mentions all those spiritual gifts. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What a strange verse. He says, first of all, a living sacrifice is uh, different than an Old Testament sacrifice. Once you sacrifice something in the Old Testament, it was dead. It was gone. It was used up. He's saying, look, you get on the altar and you continue to get on the altar and constantly go on the altar and constantly giving your heart to Jesus every, kind of every day as a believer. I urge you to do that, to make it your reasonable service of worship. Now, I know that you may be saying, well, I just, I just can't do that. You know, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't know what my gifts are. I just can't do that pastor, but I hope other people will so you'll get all these positions filled. You already do it. You already are a living sacrifice for what you worship. Now, you may worship your career, and you need, just like James and John, you, know, you need those promotions because that's what feeds your ego. You, need, you want more money. You want, more, you want to be able to be that guy that has the corner office. You want to be that guy that has the keys to all the rooms. You, you want to be that person who is renowned maybe in your field. There's ambition there. So you sacrifice for it. 
Maybe you sacrifice time with your family. Maybe you sacrifice time in church, time in service, time with the Lord. Maybe you sacrifice your body. You know, at 50 years old, man, you're worn out and you've got ulcers and heart problems. You sacrifice. You give yourself to that. Now, the problem to that is, is not only that you lose a lot of other stuff, you never fulfilled your life's calling, but sooner or later, all that's going to die. There are people in our church right now retired. Maybe some people probably right here in this room and think, hey, nobody's calling me anymore. Nobody wants to know my opinion anymore. Nobody wants to um, bring me into the loop anymore. It's just all dead. I'm not getting the paycheck anymore. I'm not getting asked to go places any longer. It's just dead because it's finite. And anytime you worship something that's finite, they're gonna, it's going to disappoint you. You say, well, I don't mess the career. Listen, I do something noble. I put my family on the altar and I worship them and I sacrifice for them. And all of us want to sacrifice for our family. I'm going to start a family series here on first Sunday in February. We all want to know what to do with our family. But the problem in sacrificing for your family is this. No one will ever break your heart like somebody that you love. Your family, your children. And you put everything in that, and they break your heart. They're finite. The only thing that you can place your faith in, as I've said all in 2017, that is rock solid, that will not let you down, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to what ails you and the ills in your life. So what do you do? You sacrifice for other people. You say, well, I don't know where to sacrifice. Then you just get into the game. You do something. My, we, we moved off to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary, and I'd already pastored a church. Uh, Pam had been the pastor's wife of a church. She joined the choir. Hey, you get involved, right? You get into the game. And she had done a lot of big ministries, but, but she got into the choir. And uh, they, did, they, they wouldn't let me. I tried the choir. They wouldn't let me join, but that's another story. Sort of like my dad. My dad, when he first got saved, he wanted to do something. He didn't know what to do. And, and the, the choir director, you know, the small church, said, come on, everybody just join the choir where you can sing or not. And he says, well, that, that qualifies me because I can't sing. And so he shows up and he says, he says, son, I had to quit the choir. They started holding secret practices and not telling me. And so I come out of that school of singing. But I got involved in RAs, Royal Ambassadors, teaching children that something similar to Juana's. I was, I was just totally out of my element in that. I mean, they're talking about camping and race cars, you know. Man, my idea of camping is going to the Marriott, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> overnight. And so we were involved, in, but I did it. I, you know, you get into the game. You do it. First time I ever spoke in public that I can remember, I can recall. I wanted to, my friend and I wanted to start this youth group in Bogart, Georgia, and I went to a Sunday school class, a couple of them, but the first one I went to, 12 kids in the class, and I couldn't even look at them. I was so nervous. But what John F. Kennedy say? You don't do things because they're easy. You do them because they are hard. How else are you going to grow? How else? I love... I told a couple other illustrations in closing in the last service. <clears throat> they were lousy. And so I'm going to go back to something else, all right? They, weren't, they didn't work at all. All right? 
So let me put it this way. Um, Richard Rising wrote a book. He's, he's come here before, and they've talked to us about our church years ago. He wrote this book, and he has this great analogy about baseball. Okay, here's a guy that moves into town. Maybe it's you. You just move into town. You don't have a friend in the world. And you got your little cubicle there, and you're trying to make friends, talking to the guy next to you. And one day he just comes to you and says, hey, I've got some tickets to uh, the baseball game tonight, the major league game. Why don't you come with me? I got a couple of tickets. And you think to yourself, I don't even like baseball. I don't, I think I understand the game. I played a little bit before as a kid. Don't even like it, but I want to make a friend here. So, yeah, yeah, let's go. I would like, I'd love to go. And so you go, and you're sitting up in the upper deck, nosebleed section. You're watching what's going on. You're watching more of the people than you are the game. But then suddenly, boom, crack of the bat. Don't you love those wooden bats? Crack of the bat. And everybody's jumping up, and you hear it, and you're jumping up. And you see this ball flying over the fence, and you're hooked. So... A week later, you look at your friend and say, look, let's go back to the game. I'll buy the tickets this time. So you go back to the game, and about once a week, you and your friend, and maybe a couple other friends as well, sit up in the upper deck and just sort of look at everything that's going on, different set of people sitting around you. So you're no longer outside the stadium. You're in the upper deck. But then you start inching your way down, and you get down to the lower part of the upper deck, and you start looking around, and you see all these people with their styrofoam fingers you know, and pulling for the other, pulling for their team. And they've got the hats on and the jerseys on. And you think, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind sitting down there one time. Get close. I know it's extra money, but let's get close. Let's just make the sacrifice. So you and your buddy, you go down there and sit right behind first base. And you love it. Man, you're talking to the players. They get to know you. You know them. The next season, you buy season tickets. And you're right down there below, right behind first base. You get to know the people around you. And man, you love baseball. You look at your cubicle now. You got a jersey hanging up and a pennant hanging up. And every once in a while, nobody's looking. You check the internet for the scores. You're hooked. And somebody's walking through and they look at you and, and they say, look, look at all your stuff. And wow, you like baseball? Love the game. Did you know we have, we're getting up together a softball team. How would you like to play? And you think, Wow get into the game? What position would I play? I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get into the game. And so you start playing. So you're no longer just a spectator. Like in the Old Testament, and you just watch the priest take all the privilege of service. You're in the game. You've got a chip in that game. You, you have something now going on in your life where you, you, you feel like you've got part of it all. There's a certain ownership now of the game. You're not only watching the game sometimes, but now you're playing the game. You're on the playing field. Now, where are you, are? Where are you in that? Are you on the outside of the stadium because you don't really know Christ at all? Not that interested. Are you in the upper deck? You don't know Christ, but you're interested. And today could be the day that you receive Christ. On the, on the lower deck, you're here. Hey, you got season passes. You're here nearly every Sunday. You're cheering me on. You raise your hands and clap during all the singing. Man, you're right there. You're, you're rooting and behind Tim 100% in the band. Boy, it's just wonderful. 
I'm here to announce to you, Cross Life Church has a team. And we want you to join it. And get out of the stadium, get out of the seats, and begin to get on the playing field and try something out. Just try it out. One of the things we want to do, for example, that's really a good entry-level position for you, is a greeter. We want, we want 40 people to sign up for the parking lot greeters. All you're doing, it, you're fellowship with somebody else. Hey, you got your, we're going to give you a shirt. We're going to give you a walkie-talkie. And you greet people as they come in. And then you let people know, maybe, if you can, about somebody else in here. Because the next thing, we need about 40 people that this is all rotating. But 40 people in the atrium greeting people on a rotating basis, maybe 10 a week. And you're greeting people and taking them to, to small group classes, taking them down to the nursery. You're getting to know them as you're doing this and serving them. And then we need about 40 people inside this room. Wow, what do you need 40 people? Well, people taking sections, just kind of meandering through before the service, talking to people, greeting people, kind of in a way, pastoring the little section, but not on a real basis, but just letting them know that you care. We want to be the friendliest church in Central Florida. Some of you that have visited here say, what, but you are. Man, I, that's the reason I came back to this church. You were just so friendly. But unless you do it intentionally, all right, organized, you're going to miss somebody. And we don't want to miss anybody. There's so many other ministries here in the ministry fair that's just lined up for you. We have a team, and we need you, and you need to get into the game. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you are on the outside looking in, and maybe you've never received Christ into your heart, you're in that upper deck, and you're thinking, wow, you know, I just want to take the next step and just kind of buy that season pass, you know? I want to be a part of it all. I want Jesus to come into my life and save me and forgive me of all my sins. If that's the prayer of your heart, would you pray this prayer with me right now? And you can pray it silently as I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up my heart's door. I ask you to come in. Make me the person you want me to be. Help me to walk with you. Help me to sense that you're a part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.